and welcome to Securing Sexuality, the podcast where we discuss the intersection of intimacy and information security. I am Wolf Gorlick. He is a hacker, and I'm Stephanie Gorlick. She is a sex therapist, and together we're going to discuss what safe sex looks like in a digital age. We just got back from traveling to all of the hacker things, and today we're going to fill you in on what we learned on our summer vacation. So, Wolf, what what does a hacker summer look like? Where have we been? What have we been talking about? So many cities, so little time. The, the, The term hacker summer camp is specifically reserved for a series of events that occur in Las Vegas. Uh, Black Hat and a B-Sides and a DEF CON. But of course, we had events before that and we had events after that. And we've got so many events here asking me when we can stay home. (laughs) Yeah, I I am glad to be home and I would like to stay here for much longer than um, I am probably going to get to. Um, But enough about um, me and my complainingness today. What, What did we learn on our summer vacation? What stuck out in your mind as... You know, with all that you know and do and the world that you move through, what made you go, wow, this summer? Uh, TikTok, but not for the reason many people are thinking. Uh, if you are hear the word TikTok and you're in security and you go, I know what they're going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about any of that. Maybe I'll come back to it at the end. Uh, but what, what struck me, you know, as we have been going through this series that we've been having these conversations. Uh, you know, we had Chris Cox on talking about stalkerware and we've had conversations around what that looks like. And, and, you know, to me, that seemed like a kind of mm, a, a very dark topic, a topic that's not necessarily uh, has broad appeal, this idea of stalking your partner. And what surprised me was listening to, uh, talks on how people are on TikTok making viral con- uh, content, content that's going all over the place, uh, teaching each other how to spy on each other, specifically um, young girls teaching girls how to spy on their boyfriends, uh, young mothers teaching other moms how to spy on the young kids. Um, that really surprised me. I wouldn't think that there would be like this entire uh, demand for content uh, viral content, nonetheless, to <laughs> do these things, which when we were talking to Chris Cox, I thought would be more like intimate partner violence and, you know, older married couples and those sort of things. So when you say moms and girlfriends, what are they, what are like, I, I'm assuming you mean like content creators, like the, the, the mommy bloggers and, and, young people on on social media making videos what sort of things are they are they putting out there what are they what are they telling people yeah let's let's first start with that young part so uh you know old old school social media and it pains me to say that like facebook and i i'm rarely on facebook um but it it really has trended much older right like 55 percent of Facebook listeners are 35 years or older. Uh, 11% of them are over 65, (laughs) leading to a term I I learned over Hacker Summer Camp, which is Boomer Book. That's uh, apparently what some people are calling it. So you compare that 
right? Well over half over 35, you compare that to the TikTok audience, uh, which is 63% uh, of TikTok users are under 30. Around 28% are under 18. Uh, around 35% are between 19 and 29. So we're talking around teenagers into uh, their 20s. And, um, you know, a lot of it was um, women sharing tips, like I mentioned, uh, about how to spy on their boyfriend. So things like how to configure your phone to automatically answer it so that if you're concerned, you can call them and pick it up and listen. Um, how to look at uh, emojis and, and determine what is what is being typed and what is being used. Um, you know, how to install the stalkerware that we talked about. Um, moms spying on their kids were also a thing, and I'll come back to that, but this isn't really a mommy blogger podcast. But it, it had me wondering from, from your perspective, you know, when you're talking to, to clients in your day-to-day -day, uh, business, when you're advising people, um, how, how, what kind of situation would lead somebody to seek out this content and want to spy on their partner? What is, what is really driving this? So I think a lot of it is, is insecurity, right? Like back in the pre-social media, pre-internet days, we, we all knew the people that our partners knew, right? Like we, we generally dated within the same social circle. Um, we went to our boyfriends or our wives company parties. We knew their coworkers. We had relationships with the people that they had relationships with. We socialized as groups. And I think that social media and, and the connectivity of being online has really expanded everybody's social networks in a really great way. I think that our ability to form friendships with people that we would never have ever met in real life otherwise is one of the really coolest parts of the internet. But that also means that the people in our lives have relationships with people that are not in our lives. And that tends to, I believe, breed some, if not mistrust, then at least some insecurity. And we want to know what the people that we care about are doing um, in the places that we are not physically inhabiting. We want to be sure that um, the people that they're talking to and the ways that they're interacting with these people are, are things that we're comfortable with. And in the absence of that pre-internet world of your friends are my friends and, and we both know all of the people, I think this idea of kind of surveilling our partners and our children's online lives has become, has become to feel more allowable, more socially acceptable. Um, and I think that it's motivated by different things in different people. But the, the two biggest drivers I see are personal insecurity and then relationship jealousy or concern. I think there, there's a lot to unpack there, right? So if I'm talking to someone and I'm giving them advice like, hey, you may have some valid concerns there. You may want to to investigate it, but please don't backdoor your your boyfriend's phone. Please, 
you know, don't turn uh, turn it into a, a you know, uh, a, uh, trying this again. You know, within that, I, I think about like the type of advice I would give to someone. If someone's like, hey, you know, here's my concerns, I'd be like, okay, maybe you need to talk to my wife or <laughs> maybe you need to do some other things. But please, whatever you do, don't turn their phone into uh, a spy device. Please don't, you know, leave Apple tags on their car so you can trace them down, right? I'm, I'm going to give them some advice in terms of don't do the bad things. Is there some some guidance that you would give people either like don't do this or maybe, hey, instead of watching a TikTok video on how to spy on your boyfriend, you may try to do these things. I mean, it's going to sound super simple, but you may just try talking to your partner, right? I think a lot of the uncertainty, the fear, the jealousy that people experience comes because our brains are storytelling machines. And in the absence of information, our brains will create stories to fill in those knowledge gaps. And so when couples or families don't communicate well together, when they don't feel comfortable asking questions of one another, I don't mean making accusations, but but having conversations around each other's lives and friendships and relationships, when we don't do that, our brains do not accept knowledge gaps. It's not how we're wired. So where there is a blank spot in our understanding of another person, and we don't seek out the information we need from them to fill in that blank spot, our brains will do it for us. And that tends to lead to a lot of scenarios running through our heads of, what if, what are they up to? What could they be doing? Are they at risk? Are they getting in trouble? Um, are they um, betraying me? Are they at risk of being exploited themselves? Our brains fill in the gaps and create stories. And so the number one thing that, that I advise people to do is simply talk to one another so that you know what the reality is. And that heads off a lot of this sort of instinctual storytelling that we are wired to do. Yeah, I like that. I like, you know, just talk to them. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> well, the other thing that occurs to me, all right, so if we can prevent from getting into this state where we're trying to spy on our partners all together by talking, that's good. Um, if, if we can't, if we start to churn and obsess and do those sort of things. Another thing that occurred to me, and I wanted to ask you about this, is that old phrase, right? That uh, an open door may tempt a saint. Even if we don't want to be the type of person to spy on our partner, does the nature of our phones, right? We just laying around and don't lock it or our social media, oh, who posted on what and who liked what, um, does the nature of technology mean that we've got it a open door that perhaps uh, previous generations didn't have? Oh, 100%. When you and I were kids, if we were out and about, our parents had no idea where we were. 
I was a DJ in high school. My work shift was Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. I left the house around 4.30 or 5 p.m. And I got home anywhere from 2 to 4 a.m. And during that span, my parents had absolutely no idea where I was. And more importantly, no way to find out. And that is something that I think most families today would find absolutely intolerable. I mean, our cell phones come with find my phone, find my friend, find my kids. There are so many apps and, and tools that are put out there as ways to make sure that the people we care about are safe through effectively monitoring and surveillance. And that has become so normalized that it makes a lot of sense that people would say, I'm not stalking my girlfriend. I'm not, she's, I'm not watching her. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. I just want to make sure that if she gets into a car accident, I can find her. I know where she is. She's safe. I just want to know that, you know, he, if his blood sugar goes low and he has a seizure, I know what bar he's hanging out at with his friends and I can, I can get help immediately. Very few of us look at these tools as tools of surveillance and control. They are framed to us, sold to us, and used by us ostensibly as safety features. But that mindset shift away from the, I don't know, she's somewhere, we'll worry if she doesn't come home, to the, if I don't know where they are at all times, something is wrong and I don't feel safe, is a huge cultural shift. And that mindset is what makes surveillance in more problematic ways and for more problematic reasons feel acceptable to those who do it. And that's one of the reasons why I thought the other side of this, moms teaching moms how to spy on their kids, was interesting. Because I remember you telling me that a lot of people form their ways of uh having attachment with partners or form their ideas of what it means to be loved or form their, their kinks and their you know, <laughs> different uh, ways of being turned on. A lot of that gets formed early on and gets shaped by the experiences that we have. So if you grew up in, in the English school system and uh, you know, a switch was used perhaps as an adult male, that time period, you now think that switches is, uh, has a place in sort of sexy role play. So one of the things that intrigued me about that side of it, moms teaching moms to spy on their kids, is I'm wondering if we're not creating an environment where as people grow up, now they think that, to your point, um, I'm a storyteller, I'm telling myself stories. The story that they tell themselves is, oh, it's completely okay that I did this because my parents did it to me because they love me and therefore I'm doing this to my partner because I love them even if it has downstream negative ramifications. Uh, is that through line makes sense? <laughs> this is your world. I'm out of my depth here. I think it does. I absolutely do. I think that especially on the parenting side of things, we are teaching young people that love includes surveillance and that security within a relationship necessitates a lack of privacy. 
And I think that that has the potential to be very, very problematic. And I will tell you, in the conversations that I have with my clients who are also parents, I take it a step further. And this is a little, you know, far afield, perhaps, for our conversation. But every November, December, one of the things that I find myself bringing up with my couple clients and my parenting clients is the elf on the fucking shelf. I hate the elf on the shelf because to me, that is another example of this sort of normalization of surveillance culture. We from, from, you know, like toddlerhood are using this modern cultural tradition that's developed in a very, you know, sort of capitalist, we're selling this tradition. It has created whole cloth for Americans to teach itty bitty children that there are times and ways in which being watched and monitored and reported on is okay. And whenever I have this conversation with my clients who are parenting, I always get the, oh, wow, we we never thought of it that way sort of lens. But I really do think that this is a, a huge cultural shift that's happening. And we see it with the elf on the shelf for itty bitty guys up into the middle schooler getting their first phone and parents mandating find my phone or find my kid. And then on into dating in high school and early college where people are watching their partner's social media posts, paying attention to who they're interacting with, what they're saying, how that's happening, and and interrogating them about that. And then on into adult relationships where that continuation of surveillance, GPS tracking, monitoring um, is normalized and considered a part of a healthy relationship in a way that, frankly, it shouldn't be. So from a technical perspective, we can do things like provide guidance on not doing these things. We can also... Um, from the victim perspective, and I use that term victim loosely because I, I suppose not everyone's going to feel like they're a victim, but from the, the spied on perspective, we can do things like give guidance on how to check your devices, um, suggest anti-stalker software. Uh, I was looking at uh, mobile security uh, by Lookout as one example. This This was something else that came up that I was spending some time looking into over Hacker Summer Camp because it goes ahead and analyzes um, all different activities and gives you a report. Although what was interesting about mobile security, by the way, just as a side note, is, yeah, the major use case was, again, kids and parents. Um, Secondary use case is bosses because now a lot of managers are getting way too far in the weeds in terms of um, checking out what their employees are doing instead of outcomes, which is something that I... Have lots of conversations around with the uh, managers and leaders uh, that I coach and advise. Please stop trying to spy on your people. Just set good outcomes. <laughs> just, just set good outcomes. But those tend to be the major use cases. One of the things I thought was interesting hearing uh, researchers talk about anti-stalker software is that the the partner aspect wasn't coming up yet. Um, and I wanted to ask you why that is. Why do you think that the partner aspect, uh, either, again, young girls and young boys, uh, people in their 20s or married folks heading into middle age, that didn't seem to be a use case? Although, having heard from Chris, I would have thought it would have been. Why, why do you think that is? 
there's all agency. And I was a domestic violence therapist. I worked with women who were primarily women who were either recently exited from or currently entangled in and hoping to eventually exit from abusive relationships. And one potential trigger point for violence, for abuse, is the moment when the abuser starts to realize that their plans are being foiled or when the systems they have put in place um, have um, exit strategies. So that can be, you know, somebody who has always very tightly controlled their partner's communication with friends and family, all of a sudden realizing that she's purchased a, a, a prepaid cell phone and can call whoever she wants without them being able to monitor or restrict that. That's one example. So in this context, when I had clients who discovered spyware, who became aware that um, they were being monitored, one of the things that we would talk about is the safety planning around whether or not to cut that off, whether or not to take steps to disable that. Um, because often the person monitoring them, whether it's an abusive partner, a controlling partner, um, an outside stalker, sees that their program, their app, their what have you has been disabled, and that can actually escalate the intensity of the desire for control. So we would have safety planning and risk planning conversations around whether it is best to disable those tools of surveillance or whether it is best to be aware that those surveillance systems are in place and to make strategic choices around what they allowed the person watching them to be aware of. And many times, especially for people who had not yet exited an abusive or controlling relationship, the safer and more strategic option was to continue to let those monitoring systems roll and be very careful and strategic in what information was provided to those systems. See, and I think that's just mind boggling because... So oftentimes in technology, we only think about the technology. And we're just like, all right, here is here is a risk. I will put in place a control and I will stop the risk, right? Someone spies on my phone. I will install software that stops them from spying on my phone. And very rarely, very rarely do I think we we as technologists, as hackers, think about what happens next. What happens after that? Um, so yeah, that's that's an excellent point. So should we talk about why everyone else was talking about TikTok? Do you think, or do you think we should just wrap up the podcast? <laughs> well, before we wrap up, I, I, I do think we should touch on sort of the bigger TikTok issue. But one thing that I haven't heard from you is let's say somebody is out or let's say it's not an abusive relationship. It is something that they're not entirely sure where 
it came from or who's activated it. What steps can people take if they've had the kind of conversations that I'm describing and they've decided that for them, their personal risk profile says, I want this stuff gone. I want it off. I want it blocked. I do not want anybody watching me or knowing my movements and behaviors online. What do they do? Yeah, I mentioned the anti-spyware software, anti-stalker software. I would start with that. Um, the other thing is, <clears throat> now, there's a upside and downside with everything. If you want to be absolutely certain, if you want to be absolutely clear, reset your phone to defaults. Now, people are going to be like, well, if I do that, I lose my contacts and my texts and my pictures. Well, yeah, okay, back that up. <laughs> Put that somewhere else so that you have it but reset your phone to, to default so that all those sort of settings get wiped out. Are there specific anti-spyware apps or, or tools that you recommend? Like, I know that if, if you were to tell me, yeah, you can get rid of this, use an anti-spyware tool. I, I wouldn't know where to start or what to look for. So if somebody is tech adjacent like me, or even completely removed from sort of this part of the world, where do they start? What should they be using? What should they be downloading? So the one I mentioned earlier that I was in a session on was Mobile Security by Lookout, which is one of the most downloaded anti-stalkerware apps out there. Great reviews, used primarily for kids, parents, and bosses. That was the one I mentioned. I should say that, hey, I'm married to you, so I don't get stalked. Um, and this isn't this isn't something I personally tried, uh, but if you're looking for a place to start and you're going to do some research in the space, that's a good place to start. And speaking of, I don't get stalked. I, I think that brings us back to the whole, what is everybody else talking about with TikTok? For all of the people that are like, well, this is great. This is handy to have, but I'm never going to need it because I am happily single and nobody cares what I'm doing from day to day. Or I don't have kids, so I don't need to know how to monitor them. Why is everybody else talking about privacy on TikTok? What, what's going on that perhaps people who don't feel that this subject connects to them need to know? Because TikTok, like a, like a teenage girlfriend, is spying on you. Um, <laughs> the, all right. I, for those of you who cannot see the faces on the podcast, I just got quite the look for saying that. So to back that up, that was that was a joke, folks. But uh, the thing that we've learned, uh, and this really isn't overly surprising for those of us in information security, we're going to, over the next few episodes, we're going to have more experts on to talk about different social media apps. Uh, but TikTok was deemed an unacceptable security risk by the FCC this summer. Um, other folks have went out and taken a look at it. And basically the problem is, is it collects a ton of data, does not anonymize that data, which is really the gold standard to make sure that, you know, you can, as a product company, you can see what people are using in your app, but you can't say Jane or John Doe did these things. It does not necessarily have anonymization features. It fingerprints folks. It collects a lot of information, including browser histories, uh, keystrokes, uh, in some cases, biometrics, um, in some cases, things like your, your face and voice print, uh, definitely your location data, 
It collects not only the message you send, but the draft messages you write. Um, you know, anything that you copy onto a clipboard, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. And so TikTok itself in the U.S. has been uh, highlighted as effectively stalkerware. So TikTok is the abusive boyfriend. That's what I'm hearing in this conversation. Everything you're describing as features within TikTok are exactly the things we've been talking about controlling partners and controlling parents doing to one another, up to and including using keyloggers. Yes, yes. That was the joke I was trying to make earlier. <laughs> Poorly. <laughs> yeah. And so there, there's a couple of things out of there I, I want to highlight. First off, if you're listening to this podcast and you work at a product company, please, please, please check out like the, the MITRE privacy framework. Uh, check into the book uh, Safe by Design. Um, check into these things because invariably the products we build uh, end up being abused, either abused by by partners, abused by parents, uh, or abused by you know the the organizations, or as the accusation is around TikTok, abused by countries. So I think it's upon us as product builders, designers, the the building side of a hacker to make sure we investigate uh, privacy. And I, again, I would point you to the MITRE privacy framework, which is doing some really good things around how to set that up. From a, a breaker side of hackers, if you are a breaker, if you are someone who likes to poke at things, take things apart, please do continue to keep looking at apps like TikTok and other applications and, and help uh, hold these uh, institutions and these products uh, accountable. I'm very concerned about how things are, are being built and how they might be abused. And I do want to point out, and I'm not the first one to say this, all right, TikTok is, is spying on you and everything I said is terrible. Um, however, there's a lot of terrible products out there. So... It is becoming endemic in the mobile app environment. And outside of mobile apps, screw the off on the shelf. Find other ways to build relationships and happy memories with your children. Please don't use the apps, don't use the spyware, don't use the toys that promote a culture of spying and surveillance. Build families, build relationships, build communities of trust, of conversation and dialogue, and create space for one another to have privacy. There's a difference between secrets and privacy, and we are all entitled to our private lives. Privacy is love, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in to Securing Sexuality, your source for information you need to protect yourself and your relationships. From the bedroom to the cloud, we are here to help you navigate safe sex in a digital age. Be sure to check out our website, Securing Sexuality, for links to more information about the topics we've discussed here today, as well as information about next year's Securing Sexuality conference. And join us again for more fascinating conversations about the intersection of sexuality and technology. Have a great week. Bye, everyone.